This is Africa Digest. Good evening and welcome to Africa Digest. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, broadcasting from Johannesburg. We are on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa and on Channel 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. I'm Tad Dotolo, driving the show with Joalani Tulo, Wisani Matebula and Neto Chemane. Top stories on Africa Digest this hour. A delegation from the United Nations Security Council expected in the DRC tomorrow for a four-day fact-finding mission. South Africa uh, battles a fallout following flash floods that uh, claimed six lives. In economics, Kenya's energy industry regulator delays issuing a license for a planned 1,000 uh, megawatt coal-fired power plant. And in sports, Bafana Bafana team Dr. Tulani Nguenya says South Africans can be relieved after midf- mid- midfielder Andile Jadli passed a fitness test. But first, the news with Jolane Tulo. Thank you, Tata. Good afternoon. Two American police officers have been shot and wounded in Pennsylvania as protests continue in several cities against President-elect Donald Trump. Police have told residents to stay inside their houses as they search for the shooter after the attack in Cannonsburg. One of the officers has been flown to a hospital in Pittsburgh. Earlier, 15 people were arrested in New York after protests in Manhattan. There have also been protests in Washington and San Francisco. Trump defied the odds yesterday by beating Hillary Clinton in the presidential elections. Earlier, South Sudan, rather, uh, South Sudan, Africa's newest nation, officially welcomed the dramatic election of prominent businessman Trump as president of the U.S. But ordinary Sudanese citizens have been shocked and saddened by the news that former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton failed to defeat Trump. South Sudan Deputy Information Minister Akol Paul Kordit welcomed the election results. Whatever democratic decision made by people of America, we as a government welcome and respect that. Though the United States of America is a global power, American domestic politics have also impact on global politics. It is time now that we expect also United States to continue development, support to the Republic of South Sudan, and to increase it to meet the challenges of the transition. We need financial support, economic support, the training of the forces, an expensive process, the reconstruction of war-destroyed towns, need resources, the resettlement of our refugees who are outside South Sudan and the internally displaced people will require enormous resources. South Africa's opposition DA leader Musi Maimane has urged all MPs, including ANC members, to support the party's latest motion of no confidence in President Jacob Zuma in the best interests of the country. The motion follows the release of the Public Protector's State of Capture report. Maimane has told the House that the country can no longer afford to have Zuma leading the country. This one man who holds us back from fulfilling the dreams of our people. I think you all know who that man is because many of you have been speaking out against him. We agree, who says that the ANC leadership must choose between the president on one end and the ANC and the people of South Africa on the other hand. Honorable Hanekom is absolutely correct when he says enough is enough. Meanwhile, the opposition EFF has asked that a motion of no confidence against President Zuma be decided through a secret ballot. EFF Chief Whip Floyd Chibambu says a number of ANC MPs want Zuma to be removed but fear they will be victimized if they support the motion. We know that majority of us here in Parliament want to remove a president but because of fear of victimization, can we agree that at the end of this process... We're going to utilize a secret ballot so that we are able to get rid of the crisis that is facing South Africa and our people remain safe. 
And finally, five students have been shot and seriously wounded and 18 others injured during clashes with police in the Democratic Republic of Congo's capital, Kinshasa, during protests over tuition fees. The protests at the Higher Institute for Applied Technology University came after administrators decided to alter the exchange rate applied to student fee payments, significantly increasing costs, a decision that was swiftly reversed. Kinshasa police chief has told reporters that the police only used non-lethal weapons Anger at the university's initial decision led to several incidents, including the burning of two vehicles and attacks on some nearby shop fronts. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Thank you very much, Jolani. Time now is exactly five minutes after five o'clock Central African time. If you just tuned in, welcome to the show. This, of course, is Africa Digest, exclusive to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Now, remember that a delegation from the United Nations Security Council is expected in the Democratic Republic of Congo tomorrow for a four-day fact-finding mission. The delegation will meet with different authorities, including President Joseph Kabila, before flying to the Eastern Territory of Beni uh, for a clear understanding of the security situation. Jean-Noël Bamwezi reports from Kinshasa. The visit to be conducted here in the Democratic Republic of Congo is a regular trip. The Security Council always has in different country members of the United Nations Organization. Besides the meeting the delegation will have with President Joseph Kabila, different meetings with other authorities including Prime Minister Augustin Matataponyo are also on the agenda before the visit to Beni. That's indeed in the territory of the Eastern DRC where Ugandan rebels of allied democratic forces continue to kill people. The UN Security Council will try to understand the situation in the area. And according to the UN mission spokesperson here, Felix Bass, this is not the first time for the UN Security Council to visit this country. This is a regular visit, a routine visit in the DRC and in other countries. I do recall that this is maybe the third or the fourth time the security council is visiting the DRC. So first of all, it's a normal activity conducted by the security council based on the agenda and program. The second thing to say that uh, of course uh, they will come here to visit the DRC, which means they will be interacting with uh, the authorities, the officials of the DRC. I mean, running from the president of the republic, the prime minister, the minister of foreign affairs and other high-ranking officials of the DRC government. They will have uh, several discussions in various topics anyway. And then uh, from here, they will travel to Beni via Goma in order to also assess the situation, meet the local authorities, the provincial authorities, but also meet MONUSCO personnel and MONUSCO authorities uh, deployed in Beni in order to have a fruitful interaction with them, in order also to have a clear understanding of the security situation in Beni. The 15 Council Infos are coming while the Democratic Republic of Congo is facing a troubled political atmosphere ahead of the end of President Joseph Kabila's constitutional last term. A press conference is scheduled here on Saturday after different meetings. Monusco spokesperson believes the delegation will give all the visit-related details to the media. Once more, Felix Bass explains. Saturday they will meet all the political uh, authorities that I have just mentioned and at the end of the day on Saturday a press conference will be conducted at the Kempinski Hotel in order to exchange with journalists and report to the media in general what were the objectives, what were the discussions and what are the outcomes of uh, this visit. It's a routine activities and as far as I know this is a normal activity conducted. Of course the situation, I mean uh, the context may trigger some questions from journalists, etc., etc. But uh, frankly speaking, I don't know what will be the topics of discussions, for which uh, objectives, uh, I don't know. The visit to the UN security delegation is starting here this Friday, will be concluded on Monday from the Beni territory in the east of the Democratic Republic of Congo. Jean-Noël Bamwezi, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. 
South Sudan, Africa's newest nation, has officially welcomed the dramatic win of the prominent businessman Donald Trump to become president of the United States. But ordinary Sudanese citizens have been shocked and saddened by the news that Democrat Democrat candidate Hillary Clinton failed to defeat Trump. Our East Africa correspondent James Shimanyule reports. The United States is one of the countries around the world which played a pivotal role in ensuring that South Sudan becomes an independent nation. The people of South Sudan have been thankful to the United States outgoing President Barack Obama's administration for contributing millions of dollars for development projects in the country. The United States has also poured millions of dollars into South Sudan to help internally displaced people. It is for these reasons that the United States remains one of the international friends of South Sudan and will remain so after the departure of Barack Obama from the White House and the entry into the White House of the newly elected President Donald Trump. Trump is currently basking in glory after his dramatic victory in the presidential election. Nations of the world have poured praise to Trump for becoming the first prominent American tycoon to register victory in a presidential election that was characterized by analysts as the toughest of all presidential polls that have been held in the world's powerful nation. And now South Sudan has officially welcomed Trump's triumph as the country's Deputy Information Minister Akol Paul Kordit remarks. Whatever democratic decision made by people of America, we as a government welcome and respect that. Though the United States of America is a global power, American domestic politics have also impact on global politics. South Sudan Deputy Information Minister Akol Paul Kordit also underscored the fact that Since the United States has been one of the international friends of his country, it will continue to help Africa's newest nation in the years to come under the administration of Donald Trump. It is time now that we expect also the United States to continue development support to the Republic of South Sudan and to increase it to meet the challenges of the transition. We need financial support, economic support, the training of the forces, the expensive process, the reconstruction of war-destroyed towns, need resources, the resettlement of our refugees who are outside South Sudan and the internally displaced people will require enormous resources. As South Sudan government in the capital, Juba salutes Trump for emerging victorious in the United States presidential election Ordinary Sudanese have expressed varying views that are clearly overshadowed by the loss to Donald Trump by former United States Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. It was very unfortunate for us women that uh, Hillary Clinton came in a time that we expect her to be the president. But then because of the opportunities that is there, we also put in hope that there might be opportunities for South Sudan. I was surprised Donald Trump winning. Donald Trump has never been a commissioner, has never been a senator, he has never been an MP, he has just been a businessman. And you know, managing people is different with managing business. So hence I see this is not the right place for him. We women, we are really not uh, all that happy with Trump because he's showing, he's told that he's not even putting women into consideration. I expected Trump to win weirdly. Uh, This is because despite of his moral, despite of his approach in the campaign, some of his uh, campaign uh, policy were holding a bit of weight. Uh, We are not going to benefit much from uh, him because he has less experience in the situation of South Sudan. Actually, I'm very, very disappointed about this uh, American election. Hillary Clinton, uh, because she did not win the election, I'm very disappointed. The voice of one of ordinary South Sudan citizens lamenting the defeat at the just-concluded presidential election by former United States Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula.
Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe. This is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa. This is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 15 minutes after 5 o'clock Central African time. This, of course, is Africa Digest with myself, Tad Dottolo. Remember that you can head on to our social media platforms where you can interact with us and just share your views with regards to the stories that we're unpacking here today. Follow us on Twitter at Channel Africa One, as well as like our Facebook page, Channel Africa. Now, the South African private emergency medical company, ER24, says it responded to numerous incidences yesterday after following flash floods in some parts of Johannesburg and which carried on through the evening with heavy rainfall scores of motorists and homeowners saw themselves stranded there are uh, there are conflicting reports about them the, the number of people who drowned during the floods while initial reports had said four people have died others put the number of fatalities at six russell mearing er24 spokesperson described some of the scenes they responded to er24 responded to numerous incidents from yesterday afternoon, which carried on quite late into the evening. Some of these were minor, which could have been homes that have flooded or cars that were washed away. One of the larger incidents that we responded to was on the N3 by the Linksfield Turnoff in Johannesburg. Um, this left up to an approximately 150 vehicles stuck in the water. Some of them were actually washed away off to the side and were found um, later this morning. It was reported initially on scene that there were four fatalities and a numerous other patients were found on the scene as well. What exactly is a flash flood and how is it distinguished from your regular floods? Well, a flash flood is a rapid flooding of a low-lying area. It could be caused by heavy rain, which is, uh, could be associated with a heavy thunderstorm, as we saw last night, um, a hurricane or even a tropical storm. These are distinguished from regular floods by a time scale of less than six hours, which, again, as we saw last night. I mean, there may not be much warning to these deadly floods. So we always urge members that if they live in areas prone to flash floods, that they should plan accordingly. And do we know what these areas are, Russell, that are prone to flash floods? Some areas that can be prone to flash floods uh, would be most likely along any uh, source of a river, even if a small one, and generally low-lying areas in between mountains or next to streams and dams as these can uh, flood quite quickly and cause a large amount of devastation. Do you have any tips that members of the public should take note of during these floods? Well, uh, should you be outdoors or in your vehicle, there are a couple of tips that you could follow. One of the first things is definitely climb to higher ground and stay there. Do not try to walk through these floodwaters because even 15 centimeters of water can sweep you off your feet. If the floodwaters flood around your car, all right, that the water not be moving. You should immediately abandon your car and climb to higher ground. You should also never drive through some of the, the flooded roads. as They may have actually been washed away and you won't be able to see this. If you get swept away in the floodwaters, for example, you should try and grab onto something that is stationary and pull yourself to safety. That was Russell Meering, spokesperson for the South African private emergency medical company, ER24, talking to Elizabeth Lidicha. Following a partnership between Zimbabwe's biggest network provider, Econet, with Samsung and Apple, life could soon become easy for the locals on the, inter- on the internet. Uh, the local company yesterday launched a campaign called Smart Data Network in order to improve the lives of users. Authorities said the new product would enable students to quickly research assignments as well as medical experts to operate whilst on the internet, thereby saving lives. However, this comes at a time when the government is 
one is on rather on on one hand enacting a new law restricting usage of the social media. Simon Muchemwa reports from Harare. As the global trends in the information and communication technology continue to improve, Zimbabweans had been lagging behind, making life very difficult. The coming of Facebook and WhatsApp is on one hand improved mobile communication for Zimbabweans, but government appears to be reluctant to open the space. Currently, medical practitioners rely on computers for research during surgeries, in a way delaying the process. Students always complain of slow network during researches, a phenomenon that should be of the past soon, as Apple and Samsung have partnered with the local network provider Econet. Melanie Msengezi, Marketing General Manager at Econet, had this to say Wednesday morning. We now live in a fast world, fast-paced world, and because of that, everybody has to stay ahead from a personal development perspective and also even in your industry or in whatever business you are. Daily there are new ways of doing things, daily there are new ways of cooking recipes, daily there are new ways to educate your child. And if you're not staying ahead, then there's a problem. But listen to this, for you to stay ahead, you need access to the internet. But there's a catch to it. It's not just ordinary internet access, but it's who you partner to access that internet. And if you partner the wrong partner, if I can say, then you might think you are staying ahead, but yet you are actually way behind. And today I'm excited to actually be bringing you the Smart Data Network thematic campaign that we are launching as Econet Wireless. Msengezi said Apple and Samsung have partnered them in order to provide fast internet on the mobile devices for Zimbabwe. Apple is a giant on its own, Samsung is a giant on its own. And I believe for them to actually partner us in this space means that as Econet, we actually have the best locally. We are the best network and if you read that first statement, we are actually the only iPhone certified LTE network in Zimbabwe. And for a global company like Apple to certify us in that space means that we have built one of the best data networks here in Zimbabwe. The second, the number two global brand, for them to come and say Econet is the only recommended data network of choice and reseller for Samsung means that they recognize the giant in us here in Zimbabwe. The launch of the smart data network will enable users to connect faster and match the global ICT trend. Once you are able to browse fast and at the speeds you want, you can do anything. There are solutions right now on the internet where you can get business analysis. People are doing telemedicine. When you are in the operating room, you need fast data speeds if you are using the internet uh, for information. There's online gaming. Imagine you are playing chess on the internet with someone and it takes 30 minutes for, for the next move to reflect on your side. Then that wouldn't be exciting. There's things like mobile commerce. And for mobile commerce, you can do anything. Imagine you are on the beach, you can get a quotation for your ex-JAP vehicle when you are you know, in Cape Town anyway. Uh, I mean, when you are here in Zim and you can get your ex-job quotation instantly. Then if you want to buy clothes, like for some of us ladies, we are ever shopping for shoes, anything that is trendy, you can get it through with super fast LTE speeds that we have in Zim. Coming back home here, we have so many solutions that we are now offering. Meanwhile, authorities in Zimbabwe have said they are crafting a new law called Computer crime and cybercrime bill to deal with violations related to social media. The idea was muted following violent street protests that shook the country's security and economy since July. Most of the protests were organized on the social media such as WhatsApp and Facebook. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa.
Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, celebrating 20 years of South African freedom and democracy. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 25 after 7 o'clock, this is uh, 25 minutes after 5 o'clock, rather, Central African time. The United Nations Population Fund says Libyan women are suffering from a rise in gender-based violence and a lack of trained midwives, making childbirth more hazardous. The fund's representative, Georges Makram Georgi, says the problems stem from the conflict and instability that plagued the country since the fall of Muammar Gaddafi in 2011. The UNFPA has been working. Working, uh, to provide advanced training to personnel, uh, to personnel rather, to protect women in Libya and help them tackle the challenges they face. Georgie explains. The situation of safety of women, either Libyan woman or migrant, is facing several challenges. And the most challenging issue is pregnant women and when they reach the level of delivery. Libya in the past are relying on bringing thousands of midwives and not, they were not really training Libyan midwives, they were relying on Philippines and other nationality midwives. After the event on 2011 and even worse, after the 2014 event, almost 90% of these midwives left the country, which meant that Many health centers are unable to provide woman-friendly services to pregnant women, either as prenatal or postnatal, and most seriously at delivery, at labor. So many health centers were closed. Many maternities are functioning with nurses that they don't have necessary skills to, to conduct even normal delivery. And this would mean that morbidity and most probably also mortality would be increasing. On the other side, as in any other complex situation, women and young girls are facing serious risk for gender-based violence. A lot of training schemes have been launched by the UN and UNFPA in the region to train people to protect these women. Could you tell me a bit about these training schemes, what are they going to concentrate on in particular? So we are organizing three training consecutive, one after the other. One is about advanced training of trainers in area of midwifery skills to be able to improve quality of care, quality of delivery. Also, this will allow us to train other nurses that they will be dispatched to remote areas. The second TOT we are organizing is also with Minister of Health in providing psychosocial and psychomedical support to survival of gender-based violence. The last one, it's another TOT for training of social workers. Social workers working in social centers and women NGOs. Many of these trainers are women themselves. How safe is it for them to be in Libya protecting other women? I would say that the trainers are based in the big cities. They are practicing. The challenge will be for the other nurses who will be coming from corners or assigned to remote areas. Working at municipal level, we will try that the municipality will guarantee security for these newly trained nurses. Traveling also from one side to another will be also challenging 
because of the security problem. But as I mentioned, us jointly with the Ministry of Health, we will negotiate you know, necessary support from the municipal level. Lastly, Libya also has a lot of migrants coming in. So is there going to be any specific scheme to take care of the women migrants there? Yeah, the intention that these services will be also for migrant women. However, possibly special measures will be put in place to encourage them to use government-led services. Parallel services will be also supported through women NGOs. So the effort will be also Ministry of Health will provide support or in collaboration with women NGOs that similar services are also given to migrant women. That's George's Makram Georgi, representative of the United Nations Population Fund, talking to UN Radio's Priyanka Sankir. Time now is exactly 5.30 and time for the latest in headlines with Zralani. Thank you, Tato. Making headlines, two American police officers have been shot and wounded in Pennsylvania as protests continue in several cities against President-elect Donald Trump. South Africa's opposition DA leader Musi Maimane has urged all MPs, including ANC members, to support the party's latest motion of no confidence in President Jacob Zuma in the best interests of the country. And finally, five students have been shot and seriously wounded and 18 others injured during clashes with police in the DRC's capital King Shasa during protests over tuition fees. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Channel Africa, the voice of the African, the voice of the African Renaissance. Uh, if you just tuned in, welcome to the show. Remember that you can also catch us on uh, DSTV Audio Bouquet. Channel 802 is where you can find us. Now, midwives play a key role during childbirth, but not many are afforded the opportunity to practice their skill. According to the recent estimates by the World Health Organization, countries require a minimum of six health workers with midwifery skills per 1,000 births to make sure that 95 95% of the women are attended to during childbirth and to accelerate the reduction of maternal and newborn mortality. Ayanda Mkwanazi compiled this report. Midwifery services are critical to a safe pregnancy as well as healthy newborns. The WHO estimates that 287,000 women die every year due to pregnancy and childbirth-related complications. It further says that 2.9 million newborns die in the first month of life and there are 2.6 million stillbirths. Most of these largely preventable deaths occur in low-income countries and in poor and rural areas. Unit manager at Genesis Clinic in Johannesburg, South Africa, Sister Janelle Duplessis agrees that midwives are scarce and their role is immeasurable. She has been a midwife for 11 years and has worked both in the private and public sectors. Duplessis says the clinic caters for low-risk moms and provides them with the best birthing experience while putting their needs first. We believe um, birth is a, it's a natural physiological event in, in a woman's life and uh, a mom who is supported and a mom that is, that's given the right information and that is empowered can go on and have a beautiful birth. The deliveries at Genesis Clinic are solely done by midwives, but they work alongside other specialists such as pediatricians and gynecologists. Duplessis says unfortunately midwifery services are scarce because people have been traditionally using gynecologists during their childbirthing experiences. Over the years, and, and specifically in, in South Africa, um, midwifery and birthing has become very medicalized. Mm. And we have a... Um, uh, it's, it's very gyne-led, specifically mm-hmm. in the private sector. 
but we have this perception in in our more well um, off cult um, uh, um, population that having a gynae birth with a gynae and and specifically having a cesarean section is the safest is the best option the who has flagged that countries often have difficulties retaining trained personnel due to difficult working conditions poor remuneration lack of support and supervision. Many trained midwives work abroad for better salaries and more favorable working conditions. This then creates a gap of skilled staff in countries that need them the most. The Democratic Nursing Organization of South Africa, DANOSA, says in South Africa, midwives are trained generally and not separated to nurses. The organization's president, Simon Klungwane, says challenges in the public sector for midwives are severe as most patients arrive at labor wards ready to deliver without having gone through antenatal classes. For example, in Chris and Baragwanas, we have around 25 beds, but the admission rate, uh, according to the research that we have seen, it shows that uh, in a day they would be admitting more than 80, at some stage around 90. But normally you would see that uh, we were admitted around 60, uh, from 60 to 90. That on its own, it adds a strain because then it means the unit is found, it finds itself having to, to assist more than what they can be able to, to cater for in that area. He says the shortage of midwives puts patients at risk as they end up delivering their own babies, which spells bad news for government, who is then faced with litigation cases. According to the World's Midwifery Report 2014, women in sub-Saharan Africa are 100 times more likely to die in pregnancy or childbirth than those in industrialized countries. The report says in South Africa, the population is projected to increase by 11% to 58 million by 2030. To achieve universal access to maternal and newborn care, midwifery services must respond to 1.4 million pregnancies per annum by 2030. As the population grows, so does the gap in critical resources such as healthcare professionals and infrastructure. Klungwane says Southern African Development Countries, SADC, are facing similar challenges as South Africa. He says they often communicate and meet through structured programs where they discuss ways to help one another. Whether you go to Swaziland, you go to, to Zimbabwe, all our neighboring countries who are having the same challenges that we are having. We meet with our counterparts in, in, in Botswana in, through a, a body called SANAM, which is the network of all of us. And they express the same challenges that we are having. They are short-staffed, even areas of midwifery. The way forward, according to Shungwane, is to increase the number of midwifery centers to ease the burden on hospitals. The National Health Department of South Africa says a national strategy to strengthen maternal health care is in place. One of its aims is to train more midwives and to ensure that they are correctly allocated and not rotated at facility level. The department's Dr. Jürgen Pillay says the impact of these initiatives can be seen in the decline in institutional maternal mortality rates in South Africa since 2009. However, the Society of Midwives of South Africa, SOMSA, says there are examples of how other countries are trying to improve their midwifery services, but more needs to be done. I know in Ghana for a few years back there was a direct entry midwifery program introduced which really contributed um, to strengthen the workforce and um, then um, look at the decreasing of the um, maternal and neonatal morbidity and statistics. Meanwhile, up north of Africa, South Sudan has made headway in improving its midwifery services. Four years ago, there were only 10 qualified midwives in the country, with a population of more than 12 million. Today, more than 300 of these skilled workers are deployed across the country. The WHO says it supports countries' efforts to make sure that every woman and every newborn baby receive the best possible health care. For Channel Africa, Amayandam Kwanazi. While the benefits of expanding women's participation in the economy are clear, women around the globe continue to face barriers. Action Aid's Nyaradzaya Komonsvanda says women bear a disproportionate responsibility for unpaid care work and ill-thought-out policies often aid to that burden. Komonsvanda joined a panel on making macroeconomics work for women at the IMF World Bank annual meetings. I think what was exciting as part of this discussion was the shift in the narrative 
was for this conversation to be about how macroeconomics works for women, which is very different from integrating gender equality into macroeconomics because it shifts um, and repositions the issue of gender equality and the role of women as the substantive and not as an instrument of achieving growth. It's not an easy shift. Um, It requires us to be very practical in terms of uh, the key elements, in terms of the benefits, and also in terms of what the ministries of finance have to do in order to uh, to realize uh, the ethos of why they have to they have to do that. They have to know that it's about the total well-being of their nations. It's about achieving the development outcomes, which are more than the growth outcomes. So that, I think, is, um, is a piece which is very critical. And for some of us, like Action Aid, who work with women in communities, it's an issue that enables us to surface and place in the policy conversation the unrecognized and undervalued and unpaid care work, for instance. And this did come up in the discussion earlier today, uh, the issue of, of, you know, there are a lot of things that women do uh, that, that are not necessarily captured in, in the way that we currently uh, measure growth. Um, do, you, do you think that we need to take another look at the, at the way that we measure growth? I think we need we need to um, because the measurement of uh, just the economic financial indicator uh, of surplus or it's not sufficient um, because for women in communities when they are saying has our economic situation improved they are also looking at whether they have quality access to basic services like running water, food security, education for their children, um, sustainable fuel and energy sources so that they don't have to walk the long distances to, to fetch firewood. So it might not be measured that they have an extra penny and an extra shilling in their pocket, but the overall health and well-being of that household and the dynamics and potential and capabilities of that household has shifted. And this is where I think the whole conversation around growth has been so reduced to, I, I'm not an economist, I, I am a village woman who happens to be an international human rights lawyer, uh, where we need to find other language that sufficiently describes what those values are. And yes, it might not be according to convention, but who said that uh, improving the world has to be by the status quo? If we have to improve our world, if we have to meet those SDGs, we can't do it by scaling up status quo. We need to be creative. We need to dare to introduce nuancing, to introduce new language, new thinking. Like what? I mean, what, are, what are some of the areas that you think that we should be uh, focused on? Let's talk about tax justice and not only models of taxation, but tax justice which goes beyond the models because then that enables us to look at the distribution issue, who is impacted by one model or the other if there is tax avoidance or tax evasion or other leakages within the economy where the revenue is not there and the service has to be provided and that service like health care is no longer provided by the local health clinic is task shifted into the household and that task shifting is care work for women. So it's to be able to draw all these linkages in order to respond to the reality that we know. So it's very exciting that uh, the International Monetary Fund starts to talk about inequalities beyond income inequalities, to talk about gender inequalities, to talk about diversity, because really the whole conversation around Economic empowerment for women has been so micro, but there's nothing micro about women's empowerment. It's very macro. 
and all these macro policies impact on the reality at household level, and those realities at household level should inform the macroeconomic policies. Mm. And and the policies that uh, the macroeconomic policies that the IMF are, have been talking about for quite some time now are you know infrastructure investment and and domestic revenue mobilization, and that that translates, I think, to a certain degree of what you're talking about. Uh, and, and, and part of, uh, just to, to stick with infrastructure, investment in infra- infrastructure, if we put a gender lens, if we put a prioritization of uh, women's um, care work into the infrastructure, it might mean that the IMF technical advice to a government might be to say, okay, you want to build a road from the city center to go to country X or to go to this province in order to facilitate trade or movement of goods and services. But why can't you also maybe, yes, prioritize this, but look at staggering so that you also prioritize rural electrification or solar panels in rural areas so that women are able to have uh, an energy source which unleashes their potential to spend more time on their farms, in their gardens, producing more. It means women are able to produce for household consumption, the vegetables, but are also able to have time to be more in the productive sector. So those linkages are very critical for for the work that we do. And yes, we need those roads because women have to go with their produce to the market. We do cross-border trading. We need good roads, good border posts. But unless the household care issues are addressed, women are not able to do that regional cross-border trade when they have to leave their children with nobody to fetch water for them. So I think these are the dynamics that you're talking about. It's a question of priorities and choice for our governments. That was Nyaradzai Komotswanda, International Board Chair for Action Aid, speaking to Bruce Edwards from the International Monetary Fund. Time now is 15 before the top of the hour, 6 o'clock, and time for the latest in economics news with Wisani. The daughter of Angolan President Jose Eduardo dos Santos, Isabela dos Santos, has defended her father's decision to appoint her head of the state oil firm, saying she had picked for her expertise and competence. Ranked as Africa's richest woman by Forbes magazine, Isabella was given the job of CEO of Sonagol in June, prompting 14 lawyers to file a lawsuit accusing her father of nepotism and violating Angolan prohibiti law. The Angolan Supreme Court has asked the Santos last month to respond to an inquiry on his appointment of his daughter. Egypt's central bank has agreed terms of uh, two billion US dollars in financing from international banks. Egypt has been struggling to revive its economy and attract inflows since a 2011 uprising drove away foreign investors and tourists, key earners of foreign currency. Its foreign reserves fell to about $19 billion in October, which is far below the $36 billion it had held on the eve of the revolt. With its budget deficit widening, reserves dwindling, and a currency black market booming, Egypt has embarked on an ambitious program of economic reform and turned to the IMF for a $12 billion loan to support its efforts. Tax collection in Burundi has risen 3.6% in October from the same period last year, exceeding the tax office target. The Semi-Autonomous Tax Authority, OBR, says it collected 28.36 million U.S. dollars, up from its target in October 2015. Asian shares have rebounded and the U.S. dollar firmed in a remarkable snap back from the shock of Republican Donald Trump's presidential victory, though the speed of the reversal left some market watchers scratching their heads. The Nikkei duly recoupled, recouped all of Wednesday's 5% loss and more to trade up roughly 6% as the yen weakened following the previous session surge. The South African Reserve Bank has warned that the country's weak economic growth and heightened politi- political risk are a threat to its investment-grade credit rating. 
International ratings agencies will now announce the country's credit status early next month. In its last financial review the 20, for 2016, the Reserve Bank says thin liquidity is a recurring problem for the RAND and that it will closely monitor conditions in the currency market. Investors have been jittery since an ongoing probe into Finance Minister Pravin Godan was announced. Godan has called the investigation politically motivated. Now for your financial indicators at this time around. The dollar, 13.46 South African rents. 10.32 Botswana Pula, 9.71 Zambian Guacha. Also trading at 0.80 to the British pound and 0.90 against the euro. The commodities market uh, gold is at $1,286. Platinum at $1,000 per ounce. And the spot price of Brent crude oil has recovered now to be at $46.37 per barrel. Time now to hand over the baton to Neto Chemaene, bringing us the latest in sports news. Good evening, sport fans, with the latest to Channel Africa Sports News at this hour. I'm Neto and ETO Chamani. Starting off with football news, Bafana Bafana team doctor Tulani Nguenya says South Africans can now breathe a sigh of relief after midfield workhorse Andile Jali passed a fitness test and will be ready to face Senegal, the Lions of Taranga, when the two countries face off in a crucial 2018 Russia World Cup qualifier in Limpopo on Saturday afternoon. Bafana Bafana have been plagued by bad news following the release of Dean Femen and Deboho Langerman in camp. But Nguenya promised that Jali, together with goalkeeper Rowan Williams and winger Dane Clade, will be available for selection. Yeah, well, the, the, the improving, it was Ronin Williams. Ronin Williams is much better. He played yesterday afternoon. And uh, um, Dane, Dane had a, a bone confusion. However, he didn't train yesterday, but you saw him yesterday evening during our normal clinic. So it looks like he's going to trade today. He was much, much better. And delay is actually improving. He trained full session yesterday without any pain or discomfort. Yeah, like apart from, because remember, um, Ronwin was also suspicious because we took him for a scan, but the scan was okay. There was no, no problem. It's only Dean Furman and uh, Langerman who are now out of the camp because of the injury. With a few days to the gigantic clash between Egypt and Ghana in Alexandra, the Faroes coach Hector Cooper is confident his side will grab all points. The two sides face off in a FIFA 2018 World Cup qualifier on Sunday with memories of a 6-1 drubbing by Ghana Black Stars in the road to Brazil 2014 still fresh in hearts of many Egyptians. However, the Argentine, who has previously coached Inter Milan and Valencia, among others, says that is mere history. He says he knows many Egyptians are still thinking of the 2013 match, but that is mere history. In the 2014 World Cup qualifiers, Egypt were humiliated by a 6-1 defeat away from home before winning 2-1 to miss out on Brazil 7-3 on aggregate. But despite heaping praise on the Black Stars, Cooper believes they won't leave Alexandra with a thing. In rugby news, the Springboks have made several changes for the important opening test of their year-end tour against England at Twickenham on London on Saturday. Only five players who started in the 31-all draw against the Barbarians last week at Wembley were again included in a much-changed lineup for the test against the English. They are beast Mtawarira prop, Peter Steph Dutoy flank, Ruby Page scrum half, Pat Lambie fly half, and Francis Fender outside centre. Fender will make his test debut on Saturday following his good showing last week at Wembley and his centre partner is Damian Di Allende who will win his 21st cap for the Springboks. Captain Strauss will lead the Springboks for the 10th consecutive test match while Locke Ibeth Elizabeth will play his 31st consecutive test for the Springboks. Springboks assistant coach Matthew Proudfoot says they are desperate to set the record straight by restoring the pride of the Springboks when they take on England at Twickenham on Saturday. Proudfoot was referring to the 
the Springboks' last test outing when they suffered their heaviest defeat against All Blacks and says they will need to respond to that particular setback with a better performance against the English. Physicality is a pride thing. Um, I think every international team has that pride. We, uh, we've had a couple of, of setbacks this year that, uh, that we, we aren't proud of and that we want to rectify. You know, I think that's what Eddie's alluding to is that this team wants to respond. If you look at the way England played in Australia, they were superb in their, character, their characteristics of the game. So I think every test match is about that. It's about the two teams slogging away at each other, looking for those inches, looking for where they can, can crack the other side. So we, we have just been, that's the style of rugby we've played for, for years and years. And you know, we, the guys have got in, immense pride in, in the green jersey and, and that's what they play for. And finally, the Trade Union Solidarity and the Civil Rights Organization AFRI Forum yesterday served legal documents in terms of the promotion of Access to Information Act, PAIA, to force the Sports Ministry to reveal information regarding planned transformation targets. This follows after Sports and Recreation Minister Fikile Mbalola announced earlier this year that sport codes not achieving transformation targets will no longer be permitted to host international sport events. The minister singled out four sport bodies that, according to him, do not meet the requirements. This include the South African Rugby Union, Cricket South Africa, Netball South Africa and Athletics South Africa. According to Johan Kruger, Deputy Chief Executive of Solidarity, the Minister of Sport must, in terms of this application, disclose all agreements with regard to the transformation targets between the sports bodies and the Minister. Thank you for tuning in to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is Africa Digest. Recapping top stories this hour on Africa Digest, a delegation from the United Nations Security Council expected in the DRC tomorrow for a four-day fact-finding mission. And South Africa battles a fallout following flash floods that claimed six lives. That wraps up Africa Digest today. From myself, Tato Tolo, producer Luyanda Maome, and the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you very much for listening. For comments on the show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or send us an SMS on plus two seven. Seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Taking us to the top of the hour is Angege by Afrotraction. Do enjoy. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I can be out there.